Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Cool. We'll be reading Daniel chapter 1, which is on page 663 of our church Bibles. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged us. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king, chief of the court officials, to bring to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thanks, Neil. Wonderful. Good to be with you. This is uh, uh, the second part. Last week we looked at wisdom for living in exile. Today we're thinking about courage for living in exile. And uh, we love a story that involves courage. That's why we love David and Goliath. That's why we love Daniel and the Lion's Den, chapter 6. That's why we love Lord of the Rings, two little hobbits, Sam and Frodo, marching into the vast and dreadful city of Mordor to defeat the Ring of Power. Such an enduring story of courage. That is why President Zelensky gets a standing ovation. 
everywhere he goes. He's a man of great courage. Courage inspires us. It touches the hearts. We admire it. And we think, I just wish I could be a little bit more courageous. So how do we get it? How do we become more courageous? I want to think about three things from Daniel 1. The need for courage, the manners of courage, and the source of courage. The need for courage. Why did Daniel need courage? Why does anyone need courage? Daniel needed courage because he was going against the flow. Everyone else is doing this. Everyone else thinks this, acts this way, talks this way, looks this way. Everyone else has this kind of accent, eats this kind of food, does this kind of thing. And I don't think or act or talk or speak or whatever else. Uh, It's easy to be a sheep, just go along with the crowd. It's easy to fit in, but to be different. If you put yourself on the, to go against the flow, well, that's putting yourself in danger. So why was Daniel going against the flow and why was he putting himself in potential danger? Daniel was just a young man, if you remember from last week, and maybe a a teenager. And in the year 605 BC, the third year it says in verse 1, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem uh, and besieged it. And Daniel was taken by the most powerful man in the world because he was in charge of the Babylonian Empire. Why was he taken? Verses 3 and 4 tell us he was taken because he's one of the best and he was one of the brightest and very good looking and part of the nobility and possibly he had royal blood in him. Hebrew royal blood, Jewish royal blood and he was taken so he could be trained in the, in the Babylonian regime to serve the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar was brutal, a brutal ruler but he was very smart. And he knew that if he was to conquer all the surrounding nations, which he'd done, he'd beaten the Egyptians, he'd beaten the Assyrians, he'd now just about beaten the Israelites. He'd have to weaken them of their best potential to avoid an uprising. So he took the young, brightest men. But he was very smart. He thought, I could could assimilate these people and make them Babylonians, turn them from outsiders to insiders, and then they can serve my kingdom as the brightest and the best, whether back in their homeland as my ambassadors or right in the royal court, eating at my table. But first he had to win their loyalty. So you'll notice there, it says there was three years at the end of verse 5. Three years he put them into his training and assimilation school. He trained them in the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And he kept regular company, personally with them, as he gave them food and wine from him, his, the king's table. Now, aside from the trauma of exile, a teenager, Daniel, finding his bearings in this new situation, he he was just trying to survive, thrown in there. And we said last week, there's two easy paths for Daniel to take, which avoid any kind of challenge. He could have avoided going against the flow in one of two ways. The first way was the path of isolation. He could have retreated with his Jewish friends outside the city of Babylon to form a holy group that read the Holy Scriptures, that sang the Holy Psalms, and lived in a separate culture than Babylon. You don't go against the flow then, because you just hang around with everyone that's like you. Path two, he could have chosen the path of assimilation and compromise. Forget his Jewish upbringing, forget his values, forget his God, uh, jump in two feet with everything that Babylon, swallow Babylon as Babylon swallows you. That would have been easy, because then there would have been no going against the flow. Everyone would be doing what he was doing, but Daniel did neither. 
he became a resident alien. He lived in the city of Babylon, but his identity and values were formed in another city, the city of Zion, God's city. He was fully embedded in the culture of Babylon, but he was not formed in his inner being by the culture of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had a four-point plan, and if you were with us last week, you know it, three of which Daniel said yes to. The first part of the plan was yes to an education in the Babylonian culture, literature, language, and despite much of it being against what Daniel believed from his upbringing as a Jew. But he said, yes, I'll I'll get trained in in the University of Babylon for three years. He said yes to a career in political administration of the state, despite serving a ruthless monarch that would, in about 19 years' time, go and ransack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and carry all the people of Israel off. He served in that system as a Hebrew. He said yes to the substitution of Babylonian names for Jewish ones, despite the new names that him and his friends were given, representing the Babylonian gods of Marduk, Aku, and Nagu. Daniel and his three friends had names that represented their god, Yahweh, but they said, no, we can handle a change of names because it won't form our inner being. And then surprise, surprise, we looked at it last week, he said no to the king's food, maybe because of Jewish cleanliness laws, the, the kosher food, maybe because to eat the food was to worship an idol at a pagan altar, or maybe it was because he didn't want to keep the king's company and sit at the king's table Because to sit at the king's table was to agree with everything the king said. And he couldn't quite do that. We're not quite sure why he said no. But we reflected last week that you need great wisdom if you're going to live as a resident. And what parts of Babylon do I say yes to? What parts of Babylon do I say no to? Do I need to say yes a bit more and engage more with the culture? Or do I see you need to say no more and, and, and and resist a bit? Being a resident alien requires great wisdom. But... It also requires great courage. You see, if you take the path of isolation and you just have Christian friends, you just surround yourself with a Christian culture, you don't need courage because no one's going to object to what you say. Or if you take the path of assimilation and you just swallow all that Babylon has to tell you while while Babylon swallows you, Well, you go with the flow. So again, you don't really need courage because you're not going to be with anyone that will disagree or say something you don't want to hear. But being a resident alien, living in the tension, being in the world and not of the world, you'll need wisdom, but you'll need courage and courage in abundance. To say no to the most powerful man in the world is no small thing. Look at verse 10 there. The the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have to have my head because of you. To say no to Nebuchadnezzar's plan wasn't just dangerous for Daniel. It was dangerous for the official that was in charge of Daniel. He was putting his head on the line too. In his book, Against the Flow, uh, mathematics, Oxford mathematics professor uh, John Lennox, uh, it, it inspired a lot of this series. It's a wonderful book. He's a world-renowned professor of mathematics, a historian, a philosopher of science, and a leading Christian apologist, debated Dawkins and Dennett and, and all the rest. And he tells a story right at the start of his career 
when he was a young man like Daniel, and the powers that be in Oxford University try to assimilate them into the Babylonian school. Quote, At a formal college dinner, I found myself sitting beside a Nobel Prize winner. I'd never met one before, and in order to gain the most from the conversation, I tried to ask him questions. For example, how had his science shaped his worldview, and what was his big picture of the status and meaning of the universe? And particularly, I was interested to, in, uh, in to understand whether his wide-ranging studies had led him to reflect on the existence of God. He's just a, probably a little bit more early 20s, Lennox. It was clear that he was not comfortable with the question, so I immediately backed off. However, at the end of the meal, he invited me to come into his study. He also invited two or three other serious academics, but no other students. I was invited to sit, and as far as I can recall, they remained standing. He began. Lennox, do you want a career in science? Yes, sir, I replied. Then in front of witnesses tonight, you must give up this childish faith in God. If you do not, then it will cripple you intellectually and you will suffer by comparison with your peers. You simply will not make it. Talk about pressure in the school of Babylon. But Lennox, like Daniel, resolved in his heart who he feared. And he did not give in. But nor did he run away from a career in academics and science. In Oxford, he stood as a resident alien. Neither compromising nor isolating. He served the common good. He defended the faith. He strengthened the church. And he's trained loads of people in Oxford to be the best mathematicians they can be. All to great effect. Something he could not have done if he chose the path of assimilation or the path of retreat. He honoured God early in his career, like Daniel was called to, taking a stand early in a hidden moment that no one else would know about. So he was able to honour God as his platform grew as a Christian leader. And so for Christians today in modern Dublin, if you want to take the path of a resident alien, saying, Jesus is my Lord, but I want to engage with the culture of Babylon. There's going to be wisdom needed. What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? But even if you figure that out, in fact, you won't be able to figure it out if you're not willing to go against the flow. And do then what you think is wise and take the pinch in these moments. And there's a great lesson for us all here. Chapter 1 of Daniel is saying no to the king's food. It's a small thing. Though it's a big thing, it's a small thing. But Daniel trusted God. It was a small test if you can honour God in chapter 1 with food, you can honour God in chapter 6 when there's lions. He uses a small test to form a habit of a lifetime that means you can take on a much greater test of what it means to live for the audience of God. Conversely, friends, if you compromise over a small thing, don't think you'll be courageous on the big thing. The lessons learned in the small, in the hidden, that's what sets you up for the habit and for the big moments. So if there's an area of compromise in your life right now, now's the time for courage. Now's the time to be courageous, lest you go on the slippery slope that leads you further and further away from God. You need courage to be a resident alien, and you need it in abundance. So how do we get it? Well, we're going to come to that, but we've got to think about the manners of courage. You see, just, there were, just as there are two wrong paths when it comes to avoiding the tension of a re resident alien, so there are two wrong paths when it comes to, to courage. Path one, I guess we've reflected on this, is the path of silence. Just fear and cowardice, not being willing to stand up to be different. So you just compromise your values. 
because the dominant culture says one thing, I'm going to... But path two is the path of brashness and defiance and insensitivity. Yes, you take a stand, but you take your stand in such a way that lacks gentleness and respect. You are defiant, you are arrogant. So yes, you're honouring God with your decision because it's a courageous decision, but simultaneously you are not honouring God with how you're making that decision and taking that stand. Look again at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to define himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for what? Permission not to define himself in this way. Godly courage comes with manners, gentleness and respect. To be courageous in a brash way is not a, a courage that God wants. That's just your flesh, that's just the ego speaking. Look how great I am. No. Daniel asked permission. Daniel wanted to respect those in authority and realize that they had to navigate a tricky path for themselves. And he, he wasn't defiant and he must have, this is why it's important to me. This is why I'd like to do it. Could we find a... In other words, he wanted to find a workable solution with the powers that be rather than work against the powers that be. We said last week, Daniel protested, but he protested as an insider in the system. He didn't protest as an outsider lobbing bombs from a distance. And as an insider, he'd spent years building relationships with those officials, nurturing them. And we see in verse 9 that God was at work causing favour. And when in verse 10, Daniel learns that the official is scared himself, does Daniel bulk at this moment? Oh, you just want to save your life, you're a compromised official? No. He doesn't ignore the reality of the request and the challenge this official would have had in granting him the request. And so Daniel was the one that came forward with the solution and presented a win-win, which is all about business and win-win. Win for the official, win for Daniel. So what does the agreement? Well, test us. Give us 10 days of just vegetables and see how we look compared to the, the others that are eating from the king's table. And, and, and it tells us they looked healthier and better nourished. And, and verse 17 and 18, God gave favor. As, as, and he, you know, he favored Daniel, but he favored the situations. And none were equal, verse 19. So they entered the king's service. And we'll see in chapter 2 and a few other times. Daniel, when he speaks to the, to the officials and he's protesting, it says in chapter 2 he used wisdom and tact. It says in chapter 4 when he's going to uh, you know, really have to face Nebuchadnezzar with a dream that he, he's, he doesn't want to tell him because he's such an anguish for this tyrannical ruler who's going to be told in a dream that he's going to be destroyed. And Daniel's like, I don't really want to tell you because he's so emotionally engaged with the people. So as my mom used to say to me, and sadly Leanne still says to me, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Standing up, being courageous, giving an opinion that's unpopular, that requires courage, but courage comes with manners. If courage is God-given, it's not an egotistical show of strength and defiance. It's got gentleness and respect. Now, I hesitate, but I feel it's in the news all the time. Uh, I don't want to give a final opinion, but a few thoughts on Enoch Burke and Wilson's Hospital. He's a Daniel-type figure, you could say. One can well admire the courage of his convictions and standing for what he believes is right and being willing to go with what's unpopular. But one can also be saddened by some of the other decisions and words and ways that have surrounded his protest. I do not say that to judge him. I am no better. Who am I to say? I'm only getting what the news says, not what's necessarily happening. 
but it is such a way to go, I want to make a stand about something in culture. But the way you make the stand can sometimes not honour Christ, even though the decision might. I just say that because everyone's talking about him, and it feels like an appropriate example. Courage has manners when it comes from God, even when it's zealous, even when you're deeply convicted. We speak with gentleness and respect. We're sensitive to how we come across to the listener and the Babylonian culture around us. We mustn't be cowards, but we mustn't be brash. We must be humbly confident. So where do we get this? Like, where do we get this kind of wise and balanced and sensitive but strong courage? Let's look at the source of Daniel's courage. I was going to mention William Wilberforce, and he was a man that did this in the abolition of the slave trade, but my sermon was curtailed. Uh, but he's a great example of someone that just went so strong and courageous against, you know, what at the time no one really was going, we should abolish slavery. He stood against, and it took him 50 years. And he only got it right at the end of his life, a few days before his death. But everyone said he was the most gentle. And, and not, even, if, even the opponents said his manner was delightful. Uh, the source of Daniel's courage. Two things gave Daniel courage. The two things are the sovereignty of God and the city of God. Let's reflect on those. The first thing that gave Daniel courage was the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 2. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Verse 17. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. Daniel himself was certain as a teenager that everything that was happening, all the upheaval, all the turmoil, was somehow part of God's plan. Even though from an earthly perspective, the events were devastating and caused such a, a huge amount of human you know, suffering, exile, death, earthly cities being demolished, similar to Ukraine and Syria. I mean, from an earthly perspective, we, we just can't, I'm, I'm not saying we should try and get our heads around it, but from a heavenly perspective, Daniel knew a greater battle was being won that he couldn't understand behind the scenes. And he trusted. He says, the Lord delivered. The Lord was behind all these scenes. It wasn't out of control. There was a bigger and better story. So Daniel could see at his young age and in his fragile situation, the world around was shaking. The world around could be very scary and confusing and full of evil. But God had got hold of that world and God had got hold of him. And God was at work in his heart, the king's heart. And we'll see as we go through the book of Daniel, God was going to be amazingly at work in Babylon. We see this most famously in the life of Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt and spent many years in prison and all these kind of things went against him. And God's people just seemed to be getting smaller and weaker. And yet God brought Joseph, like Daniel, to a position of power so that many years later he would save many lives, including the brothers and father who were, in, who were experiencing famine. What people did for evil, God intended for good. We see it in the life of Jesus, where evil men put him to death on a cross and were culpable for their actions, and yet they were carrying out God's good plan. Such stories show the limitation of our minds. To grasp the full understanding of God's rule of history with human freedom and responsibility, that's confusing. But it does not mean that God doesn't have control of history in my life, even as history can be confusing. Such stories show the limitation of our mind, like we cannot grasp the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. 
that God is three and God is one. There's lots of things that we in our mind can't, doesn't mean they're not true. So if you want to grow in courage, you're going to need to get a big view of God. Daniel had a big view of God, much bigger than any earthly perspective would have given him. But what did this big view of God, really being the king of this world, tell him about his personal identity? It told him he didn't really belong to the city of man, and this world was passing, and the city of God was eternal, and that's where he belonged. He wasn't defined, and he didn't create, his value didn't come from the city of Babylon, but Zion is the phrase might have been said, you can take a man out of Jerusalem, but you can't take Jerusalem out of the man. So the city of God was the second place that Daniel got his courage. If the things of this world, acceptance, friendship, career, money, comfort, power, if the things of this world give us our value, our ultimate value, the thing that I I can get up in the morning and and face myself. I I have a purpose because something in this world has given me that. Well, at some point you'll lack courage because you might lose that thing. You'll never be willing to sacrifice that thing to honour God if that's ever required of you. But if the eternal city of God, Zion, God's love, God's affirmation, if that fills and fuels your heart and means you can get up in the morning and say, you know, the world around me is shaking, my life feels pretty miserable and ordinary, my value doesn't come from those things, and nor does my confidence, then the world will never get its claws on you. And therefore you can be courageous. You'll never be shackled. You'll never be silenced. You'll never live in fear. You'll never go, well, what about my future? Because you don't belong to this world. You belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, which is forming your heart. What does the writer say to the Hebrews time and time again as he reflects on people like Daniel and other heroes of faith who somehow against all the odds had a faith in God? He says things like this, for we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. And so look at verse 21. Do you see it there, verse 21? And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Who was Cyrus? When did he live? Cyrus the Great was the Persian king who defeated one of Nebuchadnezzar's successor in 539 BC at the Battle of Opus, 60 years after Daniel was taken into exile as a teenager. Why is that verse there in chapter 1? We haven't got there yet. Why Why did Daniel, the editor, put it in so early? Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. He was like, Daniel outlived him. Rulers come, rulers go. God's servants remain. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. God's kingdom doesn't. Earthly cities entice. Earthly cities grow. Earthly cities become pale and awkward, but God's city is radiant and beautiful and endures forever. You want to know how to get the courage? Make sure you know where you really belong. Not in this world. We don't have an enduring city here. Babylon never endures. Rome didn't endure. Assyria didn't endure. Egypt didn't endure. They're not the mega powers. God's city endures. And remember, remember where all this points to. There is one that came after Daniel, the true Daniel, on which this heavenly city was going to be built. 
He was the cornerstone of it. He'd never compromise. He'd stand up to the greatest pressures, even to the cost of his own life. And even when Pontius Pilate was sentencing him to an unjust death, he would protest with gentleness and respect. Why? Because he knew God was accomplishing a greater story through his courage and sacrifice. What was the greater story? Jesus was securing the title deeds in your heavenly home that will never perish, spoil, and fade. He was paying for our citizenship in heaven. And when you see Jesus, the true Daniel, trusting his father, sacrificing his life, because he understood there was a bigger plan at play to give you eternal security and joy that nothing in this world will ever give you, courage will rise in your heart. It will. It really will. I've been reflecting all week on Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will one day uh, transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, this is how you stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's remember our true home. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Just take a moment. Wherever you stand with Jesus, just to affirm that he really is the king of this world. Despite all the turmoil, he really is doing something bigger than our, our human grasp, our, our human mind can grasp. And, and take a moment to remind yourself of your identity in him and in his eternal city. Even when this, the cities of this world crumble and the cities of this world are very unstable, our identity is in a secure, enduring city. Just affirm that again in your own heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel. We, th we think of this teenager, so courageous. It could have been swallowed up by Babylon and lost forever, and yet we have this book. And thousands of years later, we're studying it, inspired by your word still. And Lord, we know we lack wisdom, and we say yes to the wrong things, and we say no to the wrong things, and we pray for that wisdom to grow in us as a church and as a people, that we might know how to engage in Babylon without swallowing it, swallowing everything Babylon tells us to swallow. But we also, Lord, need your courage. That when we know when, when we need to say yes, or when we know when we need to say no, we still need to do those things. And so give us courage to speak and to act or not to act, to be silent or not to be silent to take an opportunity or to resist the opportunity. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow in, in our understanding of you, the great God of heaven, the one that rules over all the empires of this world and all the leaders. And as they come and go, you remain the same forever. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have secured our title deeds in our home in heaven and that nothing can take that away from us who through faith trust in you. And so we put our trust in you again and pray that courage would rise in our hearts even as we respond in song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.